This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Dee Bacon kicks off the Deep Sermon Series with a message about being confident in our faith. Good morning. I am thrilled that you have chosen to join us for our 1030 service here at Mount Carmel Christian Church. If you are unaware of this, uh, my name is Dee Bacon, and uh, I count it an honor, privilege, that you're here and that you're part of this gathering. Summertime is upon us. Hard to believe we're in the first Sunday of June, 2019. I remember when I was a kid, I was like, 2000? That's like a long way. Now we're in 2019. Things have changed for me a little bit in the summertime. Uh, this will be the first summer in 12 years that I will not be uh, helping coach a baseball team. Uh, first summer in 12 years. Last year, I, uh, my son, my youngest, graduated and went off to college and was playing college summer ball in 2018, but I said yes, I would help a friend coach his 17 years. So last year, I did a little bit of coaching then, but this year will be the first summer where I will just be in the stands as one of the uh, paying umpires, because we pay to go in and then critique the umpire. So I'll be joining that group. Um, in doing that, that's what I'm doing. My, my younger one is playing baseball up in Chillicothe, so it'll be fun to do that and fun to catch some baseball games. One of the things that I've grown in as a coach is, uh, is something, well, it's actually something that, that irritates me, is that when there's a pitcher on the mound and he's pitching and he's in the game, all of a sudden what I hate to hear is the coach starts screaming at him to throw strikes. I mean, he's struggling, he's not hitting the zones, and the coach is like, throw strikes! And I'm like, really? Did you send him out there to throw balls? Do you think he went out there and he's like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just going to throw the ball. Oh, throw strikes, that's what you want me to do. Really? Come on! You know, uh, my philosophy of coaching is that mechanical training, technical stuff needs to happen in training and practice. In the game, that's not the place for that. The best coaches know that in the game, what kids need when they're struggling, when a pitcher is not hitting the strike zone, what he needs is not someone barking at him something that's obviously obvious to tighten him up, to make him sweat, to get him upset and make it even worse. What he needs is a coach who knows how to breathe confidence into him how to remind him of the simple things, how to break things down for him so that he can take a deep breath, relax, and do what his body has been trained to do for many, many years. And if he can't, then he get pulled, right? So, but that's what the best coaches do. In the game, they know how to breathe confidence in the players so they can access their talents, so they can relax, and so they can do what they've been training to do all week. I think it's the same with hitting. It irritates me when people start shouting at kids for swinging at a ball and missing. Why did you swing at that? Well, that's what you do when you're at bat. Because inevitably, when a kid is shouted at for swinging at a ball that he misses, guess what happens the next pitch? He locks up. He's afraid. Swinging at a baseball is an aggressive thing. It's very, very hard. When a kid swings and misses, everyone needs to be cheering. Good job, kid. Great swing. You'll get the next one. It's okay. It's okay. Be aggressive because if you're not aggressive, you won't swing and hit the ball like you're supposed to. Confidence. The best coaches know how to breathe confidence in their players during game time. And with confidence comes performance, and with performance comes success, right? 
Now, what's true of baseball and sport, I think, is also true of life. It's also true of life. When we're grounded in confidence, we do better. We perform better. We are better. It's true for our confidence when it comes to walking with Christ, when it comes to our Christian faith. Here's what the Bible teaches. The, the, the message of the Bible, we call it the good news. It's the reason why it's good news. The reason why it's good news is because God has now provided a way for us to be made right with Him. The first way, we remember I've said this many times here, the first way, the way of law, which was dependent on me being perfect and following all God's rules in order to be able to be right with Him, that way is closed because I mess up. We all sin. We all fall short, the Bible says, of the glory of God, the standard by which God has called us to live by. We fall short, and when we do, we are then disqualified from being right with Him by that way. And being disqualified from being right with Him in that way means then we are do what we deserve. We're due to get the punishment that we deserve because God is the judge and God brings law and law requires those who break the law to suffer the penalty. The good news is that though that way is closed, God has provided a new way, another way, an open way. And that way is not open by law, it's open by grace. God's gift to us is that He gave His Son to stand in our place to take the price that we deserved he died on the cross, was buried, and rose back to life, conquering death once and for all, so that we who believe, the Bible says, we who believe these things to be true and give our lives to it shall be made right with God. We will have an identity change. We'll go from someone destined to die to someone who has promised life, from someone who is an enemy of God to someone who is a child of God, a sinner to a saint. A person who, who was apart from God to one now who can be described as a person who walks with God by the power of the Spirit. The good news is that we can be made right with God through faith in Jesus. It's a gift by grace through faith. The blessing comes at the occasion of our baptism. You saw witness three be baptized today. They are given the gift of the Holy Spirit so that God walks us so that we may live for Him in a good life. That is the promise of Scripture. That is what we're offered in the words of the Bible. And if you really take a moment to, to digest that and to hold on to that and to think about that, it's like, wow, yeah, oh, this is awesome. This is fantastic. If I can be grounded in that, uh, wow. As the Bible, many times those in the Bible says, if God is with me, who can stand against me? What can stand against me? If anything should evoke confidence in how to live and, and how to operate in life, the message of the good news, that's where it's at. But if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, somewhat, you might not talk funny like I do, but if you're like me in your walk of faith, you know there are times when what's promised in Scripture and what you read in the Bible and what you hear preachers say doesn't translate to life. That there are times when this issue of confidence becomes the issue of life, that you begin to wonder, wow, does God really hear me? Because I'm praying hard and doesn't seem to be answering. Does He really forgive me? Because I've done some stuff, you know, 
When I go to church, I'm expecting the walls to fall in on me because of all the stuff I've done. Does God really, is he really available to me to help me overcome because I'm dealing with the same problem over and over and over and it's up and down, up and down, upset and, and guilt and forgiveness and all that cycle that I get into and it doesn't seem to be happening. Is God's word really true because I got this teaching coming in, this, this challenge that seems to be logical, this science-based, uh, Eastern philosophy-based, this teaching from schools coming in, and it's challenging what the Bible says, and I don't have option, uh, answers to it, and, and all of a sudden I'm wondering, okay, is this really what, what I understood it was to be? When I read the Bible, I'm reading stuff that I didn't know was there, and it's come on, somewhat of a surprise to me a way to live and describing events that seem, whoa, do I really want to hold on to this because of that? Because I don't know if I can believe it or accept it or live by that. There are moments in life in which our faith is challenged and we go through a crisis of confidence when we wonder what's promised, when we wonder what's offered is really real. That is the condition of our journey. And the beauty of it is that the Bible was written to people of faith just like you and me going through what we go through because they're going through it. They went through it too. And what we will be doing over the next month is we'll be talking about the message that comes from the letter or the book we call Ephesians, which was really a letter written by a man named Paul who is described as the apostle to the Gentiles. And I'll explain a little bit about what that means. Gentile is a non-Jew. Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, who was a Jew, part of the conservative Pharisee movement, who were very much individuals who were Jewish, committed to following Jews, Jewish law strictly, practicing what the Bible said. We would call him strong conservative evangelicals in terms of the Judaism they practiced. Well, Saul was committed to his faith, and he saw this rise of Christianity that, that came out of Jewish origins as an, a, an attack on his faith. So he dedicated himself to wipe out Christians, to punish and prosecute and, and to pr imprison these Christians because they were a threat to the God he believed and the God he loved. Well, on one of his journeys to persecute he meets Jesus face-to-face, -face, the risen Jesus face-to-face, -face, and his life is turned upside down. He comes to realize that the God he was trying to serve was the God he was persecuting, and he repents of his, his, his offense. He receives the grace that Jesus gives. He's now found in a new identity from a persecutor of the church to one who is now part of the church and a, and a leader in the church. He has a new identity and a new life calling, and that life calling is to be the representative of Jesus to lead the effort to move the church from Jerusalem and Judea, Jewish base, out now to what Jesus said to the ends of the earth. He becomes the messenger of Christ to non-Jews. And as the messenger of Christ, the apostle, the one appointed and empowered by God, to take the message of Christ to the non-Jews, he writes this letter to Christians who are new in the faith, who are Gentiles, who are living in a part of the world called Asia Minor, which is part of the Roman Empire, who are living and seeking to follow Christ. 
and are dealing with a crisis of faith. Now, Ephesians, if you do some deep study on it, you come to find out that most scholars believe that Ephesians was not directly written to the church in Ephesus. The thought is is that the church in Ephesus was the largest and most prominent church in this area, and that Ephesians was a letter that was written by Paul that was intended to be passed from church to church to church in that region. Those of you who are familiar with the book of Revelation, there are seven churches that are addressed. All those seven churches are in Asia Minor. And I wouldn't be surprised if this letter was intended to be passed from each one of those seven churches. And it ends up in Ephesus, the largest, most prominent church, and it kind of acquires that identity that it was meant for Ephesus. But in truth, this letter was a general letter to all non-Jewish Christians at that time. Addressing a problem, a problem of confidence. They were struggling to hold on to their Christianity. They were struggling with doubt when it came to believing what they had received from Paul and his co-workers regarding how they can be right with God through faith in Jesus. And we're not exactly sure to the specifics of why they were struggling, but the suspicion is, based on looking at the inside of that letter and looking at the history of that time, the suspicion is is that they were struggling because they were hearing a preaching of a different kind from a group of Jewish Christians who were holding on to a line, a doctrine that said, anyone who is not a Jew must first submit himself or herself to becoming a Jew, doing all the things that Jews do, ritually, ceremonially, uh, life practice-wise. They need to give themselves to to Judaism so that they can qualify to receive the Messiah who was promised to the Jews first. You with me on this? And that began to really shake their confidence because these Christians had not done this because they were non-Jews and they had been taught. You just have to believe in Jesus. It's by grace through faith at baptism for your good works. You don't have to be a Jew first and go through all these hoops. And so they were struggling in that. And Paul writes now this letter to restore their confidence like a coach, a great coach, speaking to his player the words he needs to hear to restore his confidence in his identity and his ability. And so come with me as we kind of get into it. We're going to start at verse 13. And understanding what I've just explained, hopefully this will give you some depth and color and insight into the words that he shares. Verse 13, chapter 1, after initial greetings, after initial formalities that was commonplace in the writing of letters at that time, Paul says, and you also, who's he talking to? You Christians who are non-Jews, you Christians at this time, and also that can apply to you and me, Christians now, and you also were included in Christ, you belong, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, a sign, Imagine a wax, piece of red wax melted down and then a stamp put on it, either by signet ring or, or by, by a stamp that shows ownership of someone prominent. You were sealed with him, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Spirit of God, he says, is like putting your, your down payment on a house that guarantees you being able to buy that house and receive the blessings of that house, Right? who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are, who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
Now, I don't know about you, but as I read these words and as I capture the intensity of, of, of Paul's writing, in fact, Tim Peace and I were just talking just recently, just, just a few minutes ago, and he was like, you know, in the Greek, because he's kind of nerdy that way, he gets into the Greek, doctoral student of New Testament, blah, blah. Anyway, he's getting into all this stuff, and he's like, the Greek is just like one run-on sentence after another. Like, Paul's really getting jazzed. He's like, writing everything he can. So you get this. But do you hear the confidence that he's trying to build up in the people he's writing to? Do you hear what he's trying to do? Like, like he's trying to build them up and to assure them of their place. You were included in Christ as God planned from the beginning, he says to them, when you believe the message of truth. And you can, you can know that for true. Not, I'm not just saying that to you, he says, but you can know that as true because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you came to Christ, God's transformational power began to work in you. You were equipped to be able to do ministry by supernatural gifts. There was life transformation that occurred that we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Things began to change in your life as evidence of God's Spirit working within you. Your life perspective changed and your ability to be obedient to God's calling began to change. The Spirit of God in you is a testimony to your new identity, to who you are now in Christ, and you can be confident in it because the Spirit is in you. You know, we're becoming more and more sensitive to this issue of identity, aren't we? Elise Fitzpatrick writes in an article talking about identity theft. We're all familiar with identity theft. I, my identity has been stolen like three or four times. Right, someone takes my credit card number and charges stuff that I didn't charge. I mean, it's like pretty cool stuff, actually. Should have thought of it before. But anyway, you know, someone in California is charging up this, that, and the other, and buying this, this, and that. Uh, Netflix subscription. I mean, it's crazy. And when you get your identity stolen, it's 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 a hassle. First of all, it makes me mad. I'm like, how how did someone steal my identity and make charges in my name that I didn't say they could? And then it's a hassle because you have to cancel the card, right? And you have to talk to someone on the other side of the world. Hey, how's the, how's the sunshine in the Philippines? Or how's it going in Delhi, India? Because that's I know where you're at. You know, for me, I like to talk to guys from Delhi, India, because I get to talk cricket. That's where I'm from. I, I'm honoring. I know. Um, and so, but it's a hassle because you have to deal with everything. And then you have to be issued a new card. And ugh, identity theft. We don't like that. Someone taking your identity. We have to be careful about it. We don't share our, our information with many because it happens today. But I want you to think about that. While we don't appreciate identity theft, if you are a believer, Paul says that you have been given a new identity. You wear the name Christian. That's not your name. You wear the name and title of Christ who becomes your new identity. And it's not identity theft. It's identity gift. Identity gift where God gives you this new identity that allows you access to drain the bank account if you want in grace and love to receive the blessings of a new identity. Identity grace, identity gift. A man named uh, Terry Wardle writes a story about a time when he was a young boy and Mama said, you can go for a bike ride beyond the neighborhood. Freedom, right? 
Terry uh, said he just loved the freedom, so he got on his bike. Unfortunately, his bike was a blue girl's Schwinn with saddlebags. But he loved it anyway because he got freedom. So he's riding his girl's bike. He goes over the railway tracks, and he's going over this little bridge. As he's going over this little bridge, all of a sudden, boom, four punk teenagers come out in front of him. I don't know if they were punk, but yeah, let's call them punks. And they were standing in front of him, and they grabbed his bike and prevented him from riding anywhere. Terry knew he was in trouble. These guys were about to beat him up. They stopped bugging him and pulling on him and stuff, and he's not saying anything. And one of them says, what's your name, kid? And he says, my name, in his pre-adolescent squeaky voice, Terry Wardle. Kids, teenagers stop, look at each other. Three of them look kind of worried. Kid says, you related to Tom Wardle? Tom Wardle was Terry's older cousin, played defensive end on the uh, high school football team. Terry at the time knew that the cousin wouldn't do, so he lied and said, he's my brother. Kids let him go. Oh, sorry, sorry. We were just playing with you. It's okay. It's all right. Hey, uh, you know, you're good. If anyone messes with you, you let us know. We'll take care of them. <laughs> Here's the observation that Terry made. He said, he discovered that simply being Terry Wardle was not enough to be respected, accepted, and safe. In the panic of the moment when the cry for safety was loudest, he lied. Yes, everything did turn out okay, but Terry had to pretend to be something he was not so they would not beat him up. Terry learned that this is an unsafe and ungenerous world and that attaining any degree of success in life would demand much more than simply being Terry. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us. He was telling the Christians then, we don't have to lie. If Christ is with us, what and who can stand against us? Even death is beat. Even death is beat. We may die, but we will rise again when he returns to call those who belong to him. See, Paul wanted to remind these Christians that in this world we're more than simply people, Gentiles. We are Christians. We have a new identity. That identity is confirmed by the Spirit of God in our life. A sign, a seal, a deposit of the promise that God will give in His time. They could honestly say, we belong to God and we can know for sure that our anchor holds. And though the seas may be rough, and though the difficulties may come, the anchor holds because it's firmly grounded in Christ. And so Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. 
Paul says, I, might, I pray that you might see, based on my communications, based on what I'm telling you, you might see as clear as day the truth. And the truth is, is that if you are in Christ, pick this up here, because this is what I discovered when I was a young Christian. I read this and it blew my mind. If you are in Christ, you have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and delivered him to heaven. The same power that placed him in the seat of authority above all things, all authorities, king of kings, lord of lords. You have access to that same power to live life confidently, to live life resourced to be obedient to him. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. And so when I pray, I know I can pray because I am praying, looking to access the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to bring about a work, a change, an answer to my prayers. And even though the prayers that I ask may not be answered in the way I wanted, in the time that I wanted, in the way I expected, maybe the answer to the prayer may be no. I know I can pray, and in that prayer time in accessing God's power, someone said it's not, you know, we pray for change. We don't realize that prayer changes us. We realize that we can come to the place where we can trust in God because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available and working through my prayers. We can, we can know that when I'm suffering deeply with anxiety and struggle and worry, shaken by the world, that we can access the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that will bring about the fulfillment of God's word in the promise that says, don't be anxious about anything, but instead with prayer and petition, offer your quest to God and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We might experience God <laughs> calming the storm or we might experience God bringing peace to the sailor in the midst of the storm. When we are dealing with tragedy and death, when I'm in ministry mode and I'm comforting a family and they've lost a loved one and that loved one was a, a believer, that loved one was, a, was one who accepted Jesus by faith and, and lived for Christ, I can with confidence say, your loved one is with the Lord. Your loved one is with the Lord in a better place awaiting the time when Jesus will return and we will all be transformed. And in our new bodies, we will all come together and receive the promise that Paul says right here, we will receive in glory with God, living life to the fullest beyond anything our minds could ever imagine. And your loved one now is with the Lord and will receive that promise. And we can say, though we are saddened by the loss, we are comforted by the hope that we live by and the faith that we stand on because of Christ. You see, based on on this proclamation, very simply, very simply, we can say, I can say, following Jesus by faith is solid. Following Jesus by faith is solid. You know, I did some serious research on the selection of the words. I wanted to be very specific, and particularly in that word, solid. Went through a number of different things, but I landed on the word solid, and I did a thesaurus search. It's always fun to do the thesaurus search, the thesaurus. Anyway, I found out that solid only has one negative connotation in the listing of words regarding solid. It has to do with ice cream. Who wants solid ice cream? That ice cream was solid as a rock. 
That doesn't sound too good, does it? Uh, we want a little, little give on our ice cream. But every other word regarding solid on the thesaurus was good. Solid financial institution, solid gold, solid line, which means it's unbroken. Solid friendship, right? We want solid friendships. Solid argument, solid house, solid support. Paul says, hey, because of your new identity and the guarantee that you have by the Spirit of God in your life, the same Spirit that now brings to you power that raised Jesus from there, because of that, you can stand firm and know that faith in Jesus Christ is solid. And when you waver and when you struggle and when you go through difficult times, which are inevitable in our life, that is the message of Scripture. We will experience the difficulties of struggle, of living in this world, and we will experience the, the power of God's resurrection to carry us through those times. But when you do, you can know your faith in Jesus is solid. Brendan Manning, some of you may know, author and speaker, tells a story about how he became known as Brennan. It was not his original name. Brennan grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He had a best friend. Best friend's name was Ray. Boys were inseparable. Went to high school together. Bought cars together. Double dated together. Went to school together, enlisted together, boot camp together, serving together on the front lines. One day they were together in a foxhole. Brennan was relaxing, talking about life in Brooklyn, reminiscing. Ray was chewing a chocolate bar, listening to his good friend. All of a sudden a grenade was lobbed and landed in the foxhole. Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, threw himself onto the grenade. It exploded, killed Ray, saved Brennan. So when Brennan became a Catholic priest, one of the things that were involved was having a new name, and he had to select the name of a saint. He selected the name Brennan because his good friend, whose name was Ray Brennan, Ray, uh, Brennan went to visit Ray's mother back home and they were talking late into the night and I guess Brennan was just pouring out his heart and he asked the question, he asked the question, do you think Ray loved me? Mrs. Brennan got out of her couch, shook her finger in front of Brennan's face and shouted, what more could he have done for you? What more could he have done for you? Brennan said at that moment, he experienced an epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross of Jesus, wondering, does God really love me? And imagining Jesus' mother pointing to her son, saying, what more could he have done for you? See, God's way, God's, Jesus on the cross and through the empty tomb is God's message that he loves us. And he's done all he can for us so that we might be right with him. And so when you're in those moments and you wonder, does God really love me? Am I important to him? Does he hear me? Does he care for me? Will he be with me? I'm struggling. Is this true? Is this solid? Then I want you to remember Jesus on the cross, resurrection from the dead. What more could he have done for you? 
See, our journey in this message will be diving into the deep. The book of Ephesians is intended to go deep and ground us with a confidence that I know, even in the midst of the difficulty and the struggle, I know that, yes, God really loves me. Yes, I'm important to him. Yes, he cares for me. Faith in Jesus is solid. I'm going to ask the members of our prayer team to come down, and we're going to close this up this way. They're going to come down. I'm going to be available to pray with you in person, but also going to be available to talk to you about your next step. If you have a need to take the next step in a journey of faith that you say, I believe and and I want to know more and be baptized like we just witnessed, then they'll be able to guide you through that. Be able to guide you through that so that you might know that your faith in Jesus is solid, that you have a new identity, resources available for life change. It's a journey, it's a battle, it's a constant. But if you're faithful, I know that God is even more faithful. Let's stand, we'll pray together, and the guys will be here available to, to pray with you. And after we pray, we'll go, go about a summer day. Lord, thanks for this time we can share. Thank you for the message of Ephesians. Thank you for the message of hope that invokes confidence. Lord, uh, we struggle. It is part of the journey. But in the struggle, what I've discovered in my struggle times, I have become more assured of my faith because the struggle has pointed me to a test by which uh, we know you are true. That in the struggle, we know that uh, sometimes we feel like we, we don't hear from you. And someone said, well, that's because when students are taking a test, teacher always is quiet. And maybe that's what it's going through. And I pray that you would help us to just have confidence in that and to live with confidence in that, to trust in you, to relax in you, to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.